When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Writing Seuss's Season 3, Episode 23, How to Write Without Twists. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. All right. This podcast is going to be um, involve a lot of contention between us, I have a feeling, already. <laughs> because as we were discussing it ahead of time... We were kind of disagreeing even on our own de- definitions of the thing. What I want to do is I want to talk, have a podcast where we talk about writing stories that fulfill people's expectations and still are satisfying. Meaning, this is kind of the anti-Shyamalan podcast. The podcast where we're not talking about stories where some big revelation or twist happens near the end of the story that redefines the story or surprises you. I'm talking about writing stories that you promise something in the beginning you get it by the end. There might be obstacles to overcome, but everyone's expecting those to be overcome, and lo and behold, we do. And you know what? In terms of genre, Mm -hmm. this is going to work really well in romance. It's going to work reasonably well in certain flavors of fantasy and science fiction. It's going to fall on its face completely if you're trying to write suspense or murder mysteries. No, no, no. See, I'm just going to disagree already because I knew exactly what was going to happen at every single point of the way along Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. And it was still a compelling book, um, at least for the first half. Maybe that's... I I felt that everything... There was nothing in that that was surprising. Um, The same thing, a better example is going to be uh, the Dirk Pitt novels. I was, I've never surprised by anything that happens in a Dirk Pitt novel or a James they Bond story. They are so formulaic. They're so formulaic, but I really enjoyed the Dirk Pitt books that I've read. I had okay. problems with the Da Vinci Code, but the Dirk Pitt books, they're fun, happy action movies of a book, and I read along, and I get to the ending, and yep, Dirk defeated everybody and got the girl, and you know, everything we expect to happen happened, and that is somehow satisfying. Why? Why is that satisfying? I should hate myself for enjoying that book. <laughs> Dan, why did why did I enjoy I don't know. I think it's a I think it's a, a a weird attitude that a lot of us have that we demand to be surprised by our literature and by our media because you know, as we said at the beginning, you make a promise and you fulfill it. That's in large part the purpose of a story. And so it's kind of weird of us to demand that a story jump out of nowhere and grab us with something out of left see, field. I really love stories that do that. Um, and well, I like to write yeah. stories that do that. But that's not what this podcast is talking about. This podcast mm-hmm. is exploring why it's effective and how we can use that in our writing. The romance genre has been brought up, but I have a I want to say that it happens in every genre. It's not just the romance genre. Okay. Mm-hmm. Every genre, if you want to look at a quest fantasy, 
Um, there are a lot of quest fantasy out there that are very satisfying, which say, introduce your protagonist, you know, some of this, they go think, on a quest, we get what we expect. I think some of this may uh, hinge on the the maturity, and not maturity is probably the wrong word, but the, uh, the reading experience of the reader, okay. because uh, Dan Brown's, you know, the Da Vinci Code, you know, for a lot of us, we looked at the Da Vinci Code, and yeah, we knew exactly what was coming. Mm -hmm. For a lot of other people, they looked at the Da Vinci Code, and the big reveal was earth-shattering, mm. and was a massive twist. Okay. Uh, the fact that it didn't work that way for me didn't make it any less enjoyable. It just meant that it didn't feel like a Shyamalan to mm -hmm. me. Okay. Well, I think we're, we're running up against differing definitions of what a twist is. I mean, if mm -hmm. you look at a mystery story, every yeah. mystery story depends on the revelation of a surprise. Right. You don't know who the killer is until a certain point. Does that count as a twist? I say that counts as a twist because the mystery author... Yeah, and I agree. Author, that, that, counts, yeah. that counts as a twist. And I think... I think a fair definition of twist, uh, see if you guys shoot this down, a fair de definition of a plot twist is the surprising yet inevitable, where if the reader is really paying attention and really trying to puzzle this out, uh, they, stand, they stand a decent chance of guessing this right. Yeah. Okay? Um, I'll go whereas, with you on that one. whereas there's straight surprise which is the story is moving along in the diner and all of a sudden the diner explodes mm -hmm. and we had there was no way of knowing that was coming it wasn't yeah. telegraphed right. but it moved the story forward because mm -hmm. something happened and those right. sorts of stories i think the dirk pitt novels do that a lot dirk pitt, dirk pitt does just, that a lot something just blew up but let's let's look at an example dan brought up um, earlier before we we started the podcast he brought up apollo 13 yeah apollo 13 seems like the kind of of story that you're talking yes. about where you know, there is a problem, and we solve it, and there's obstacles on the way, but there's no really big twists. There's no red herrings that lead us off in a different direction. Now, I suppose you could look at it and say, well, you know, the shuttle blowing up halfway through their right. trip counts as a twist, but not really, because they were forecasting that from the opening scene. Well, and let's take it a step further and say, I, when I saw that movie, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Exactly. I was familiar with the history of it, yet it was a compelling movie mm -hmm. and the question is why that's a, it's a great example because dan brown's a bad example because i don't think it's a particularly good book but i think apollo 13 is a particularly good movie mm -hmm. and it works and yet it dune does this too let's look at well, dune. you know what i dune, think let's, if you look yeah. at if you look at apollo 13 apollo 13 wasn't about plot okay. apollo 13 was about characters in conflict with their environment characters in conflict, in smaller conflict, with each other. Mm -hmm. And if they don't find ways to resolve these conflicts, the characters whom we care about die. Yeah. And so the, the book succeeds because, or the movie succeeds, because we are made to like the characters. They're believable. We can see pieces of ourselves in them. We can see pieces of our families in their families. And we look at the conflict and we say, I, I would have no idea how to solve that problem. It doesn't look like he has any... How, how do you solve this problem? And then it's not a reveal. There's not red herrings. It's just it's just mm -hmm. grinding away at the problem until well, you've fixed it. And, and uh, that's very satisfying. Like we said, you, you make a promise and then you fulfill it. That's a satisfying thing to happen. To watch people who are good at something be very good at it 
that's a satisfying thing. I mean, we oh, are yeah. social creatures. Mankind is a very social thing. When we see a person in a problem, we have an innate desire for them to solve that problem. All right. When we see someone succeed, we have an innate sense of satisfaction in watching that. I think it comes down a little bit to progress as well, the concept of, of following progress. And do any of you, when one of those little bars comes up when something is loading, get transfixed with that because it's loading and it's getting closer and closer to the ending and it's going to achieve that ending. It's mm -hmm. meaningless. But adding one of those little progress bars to something that's loading saves. You know what? You're right. The, the progress bar, you pay attention to the progress bar. My least favorite progress bars are the one that have just a patterned gradient in them. Yeah, or a little and they spin. Just, they just yeah. kind of move to the right, but you never mm -hmm. know... It's not a progress bar, it's a just, it's gonna I'm take. working, it's, it might as well be an hourglass. Right, exactly. And this progress bar, some, in some ways, Apollo 11, um, 13, is it, which one is Apollo it? Apollo 13. Is a progress bar. We have a goal to achieve to get these guys back home safe, and we know they are going to get home safe because you mm -hmm. know history, at least I did. Yeah. But we're going to watch the progress bar step by step by step. Now I'm going to say that the reason a story like that works is because even though it does not have twists, it still has major obstacles. Okay. And Apollo 13 is an example that it has a ton of major obstacles. Here's this problem. All of a sudden, um, there's, not an, there's too many people in the lander, and therefore the air filters aren't working, and we're going to suffocate. Okay, well, we have to solve that. Then we mm -hmm. have to solve this other thing. Then we have to solve this other thing. And so there's a constant you know, stream of obstacles that, are, that need to be overcome, even though... You know, none of them are necessarily a surprise. You know what I'm seeing as we're talking about this is it seems to me, and this just could be completely off base, but it seems to me the stories that don't depend on the twists spend a lot more time in setup with very delineated, clear conflicts. Whereas a lot of the movies and books I'm thinking of that depend on the twists, you're not really as sure where it's going at the beginning, and you start to get your feet underneath you, and then they yank it away. If we look at The Sixth Sense, yeah. I don't really know when I begin Sixth Sense really what's going on in this movie. What the, you know, you've got a sense of conflict. There's this kid who can see ghosts, and there's a psychologist trying to help him. But it's not the same sort of thing as, oh my goodness, our shuttle is exploding, and there's mm -hmm. no way we're going to get home to be saved. And yeah. huge setup. And um, Battlefield Earth does this as well. It's another example of this that was an extremely compelling book. Not a very good movie, but an extremely <laughs> compelling book for all of the same dumb reasons that uh, the Dirk Pitt books are compelling. And yet yeah. I really enjoy them. And it's set up of an extremely difficult problem. Let's fix it. Yeah. Um, Die Hard's another example. I mean, there's yeah. ostensibly a twist because, oh, they're not terrorists. They're actually just thieves. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that counts because it didn't really matter. Um, the, the more important thing is... Here's a character we really like and identify with, like Howard was saying, mm -hmm. and then he overcomes these incredible problems. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> so, how do we do this? How do we use this? As writers wanting to be able to achieve this sort of story, what can we do? Can it help? Our stories where we write with twists, can we combine them? I'd actually say you No, know, I think it can help. If you're writing a story with a plot twist in it, uh, okay, fantastic. You have, a, you have a major plot twist. You're probably going to have subplots. And the subplots can be, you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl in the end. They can be, uh, you know, Apollo 13-esque, in which we have a series of technical problems which we need to solve, or we all die. And those things can be happening in parallel to the big reveal. And the way I would, the way I would map those is that when you have your... 
uh, your big reveal that is, and you might have multiple big reveals, but uh, when you have the big reveal that is the triumphant one, you know, in which the, the main plot, there's right. now going to be some sort of resolution, at the same time that's happening, or, you know, sim- sort of simultaneous, you have uh, fulfill- fulfilled promises to the readers in these, in these other subplots. Right. You know, romantic fulfillment here and technical problem solved here, so that it's all crashing in happy at once. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm going to recommend, uh, if you want to have this kind of story, I think you need to start with a much bigger conflict than you would in a twist-based story. Okay. Because you can't make things horrible out of nowhere halfway through the story. You need to start off with something awful. You or need to start off with, we're all going to die on this shuttle. Big stakes. Yes. The stakes have to be very high because your opportunities to raise them aren't going to be as big. You're probably also writing a shorter book. That's that's possible. Probably, um, and most of the books I've I've read that have tried this and have kept it going too long have fallen on their face when they did so. Yeah. Um, I've felt that many, like for instance, The Vinci Code is a great example. Um, I, if it would have had ended halfway through, I would have loved that book. Uh, it was the trying to keep me going. Battlefield Earth has the same problem. A lot of these getting yeah. that sweet spot of length down where everything is going wrong mm-hmm. repeatedly. Uh, it happens in romance novels, too. You've got to have all of these things going wrong, but people are not going to just keep forever w- waiting. They want this, their fulfillment. Their, yeah. You've promised us they're going to get together, and if you just string me along too long, I'm going to put the book down. You can't yeah. stay at an elevated set state as long as a lot of these books try to do. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I would say is that Die Hard, as an example... Um, succeeded more than its clones, I think in part because of the compelling character, but also in part because of the, um, the clever reveal. I think it yeah. did have a twist, and I yeah. think well, that actually jumped that movie up from bonehead action movie yay to, wow, they surprised me. And so I think that you can use these things hand in hand to kind of pretend you're being one, and then pow people in the yeah, face with the, see it, at, the, at the next moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, this so it's a meta plot twist. Yeah. <laughs> um, let, let's uh, look then at uh, Die Hard as the, as the no plot version that, that I yeah. proposed. And one of the reasons that it worked is that it was very clever. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there weren't any twists thrown by the plot. But I think you could look at it as the main character came up with a lot of twists in that he solved these you know, this endless string of problems in pretty clever ways. Well, I, I was actually talking about the reveal that they're not terrorists. Yeah. That, well, that, that was a mm-hmm. kind of movie-redefining moment for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, I think we're coming... Well, the, other thing that, the other thing that worked well in Die Hard was just the dialogue yeah. was, was mm-hmm. clever. And that, that kept pulling me forward. I really enjoyed uh, the performances of you know both the villain and the uh, well the hero in a really good romance novel. Um, if we lump something like Jane Austen in with that, which I, I believe it does, yeah. you're going to have that dialogue carrying you along as, as part of it. <laughs> Jane know, Austen and... three, Jane Austener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jane Austen or Jane Austen. Um, I, I like what what Brandon said about. Uh. Um, and now we talk about Jane Austen. <laughs> I lost it. I like what he said about something that something once that we was really Jane Austen. cool. Um, oh, it was about a setup, about having a good, solid setup. You, you, and you can actually see this in both Die Hard and Pride and Prejudice, is they will establish five or six conflicts right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You know, in Die Hard, it's estranged from his wife. It's 
you know, the terrorists show up in the building. There's also, you know, the kind of greasy little salesman guy who you know is going to cause problems. And there's all these things kind of on the kettle. And so that makes the audience a little nervous to see which one boils over first. All right. And you can see that in Pride and Prejudice as well. The, the oily little, never mind. Um, <laughs> the terrorist. The terrorist and, and then the, the, the salesman guy. That was my favorite part of Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. I liked the zombies. Let's do a writing prompt before this spirals completely into um, insanity. Is it going to be Jane Austen and Die Hard? No. Mm -hmm. Okay, no. I guess it, yeah. and it can't, okay. <laughs> it can't be Pride and Prejudice and Zombies either because no, that's, that's okay. been done. It's going to be Sense and Sensibility and... Terrorists. Terrorists. <laughs> that doesn't work. All right. <laughs> you have lots of excuses why you're not going to write, but we're going to pretend you don't. Thanks for listening. This has been Writing Excuses. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.